Hi, I'm Camille. Hi, I'm Calvino. My name's Harini, and this is The News Podcast. Black History Month is upon us, and this is a time to learn about and celebrate black culture. And so on today's episode, we're trying to do exactly that, and we're joined by two very lovely guests, Tati and Nivea. Thank you so much for joining us. We want to talk about Black History Month, misogynoir, looking at how race and sexism intersect, and just in general, I think, what it means to be a black woman living in the UK or Western society as a whole today. So first of all, we don't want to assume that all of our listeners have the time to become well-versed in some of the terms and theories that we use a lot in the podcast as feminist academics in adverse commas. So terms like the one in the title, misogynoir, which Harini will uh, define in a second. Also, just demographically speaking, in terms of looking at the people who live in the UK, many women in this country will fall under the category of what we call white feminism. So this isn't to say a person who is white and believes in women's rights. It means that in your battle for gender equality, you focus much more on issues that affect the average white woman. And in so doing, you overlook, choose to ignore, or just actively deny the existence of problems that black women face or barriers that they have to overcome that white women simply don't, or not to the same degree. So unsurprisingly, this then leaves huge parts of gender equality untouched and unspoken about, and therefore you can actually contribute to widening the gap between white and black women's experiences and their views and their role in gender equality. So if you don't relate to that description, you're part of the way, most likely to becoming what we would call an intersectional feminist, meaning that you make an active effort to include women who don't have the same background as you, which is crucial and what we at News strive for. But if that did sound a little bit like some of the people listening, if that sounds like the kind of contribution that you're making to feminism, this episode is very important to listen to and to understand and to remember next time you're thinking about women's rights. Yeah, just to define misogynoir before we begin, it is a unique type of discrimination faced solely by black women and is a form of sexism and misogyny that basically has its roots in racism. You do have branches of feminism, like Camille said, that don't really discriminate between the women's rights that they uphold, like white feminism does. And instead, they encompass issues to do with race, class, ability and disability, and the way that those intersectionalities and identities sort of overlap with feminism. I think time and time again on this podcast, we come back to TikTok. But I have seen a lot of black female creators speaking about feminism and what it means to them. But some call themselves womanists instead and try and distance themselves from feminism as a term itself. I think my question to you is, what do you think about that? And what is it really about feminism that isn't exactly accommodating to black voices? I appreciate that's a big question. (laughs) I think one issue with kind of like the idea of feminism is with misogynoir, black women are kind of oppressed in the way that they're not only dehumanised because of racism, but they're also defeminized because of the misogyny. And I feel like the idea of feminism kind of doesn't allow for Black women like in that kind of circle, because the word feminism itself, Black women aren't exactly seen as feminine. And so it's hard to kind of put them in that label. It's kind of hard for them to feel protected by feminism or feel included by feminism. And I think because of what feminism represents. So it is kind of helping white women in a maybe a work setting or like 
in an educational setting trying to kind of uphold their rights and I feel like they are seen as feminists because they are feminine and society sees them as feminine. Yeah that's really interesting. Yeah I I completely agree especially on the point about black women not being seen as feminine. I think we see it in so many different industries so I um, studied TV and now I have like a really big interest in film and hearing about how certain black actresses will be treated and casted versus how white actresses will be treated and casted there it always comes down to like black women always have to be the strong ones having to go through all the pain whereas the white women get to be delicate and pretty and you know all of that so I think with feminism that's probably why a lot of black women not speaking for everyone but why a lot of black women will probably try to distance themselves from the term because it yeah it just doesn't it doesn't necessarily feel like it includes everyone I think yeah I know again really interesting what branches of feminism do both of you personally identify with do you um I guess agree with those black women or do you have different opinions yourselves I mean, when I think about feminism, I just, I would like to think that everyone believes that we should all just be equal. So I think that's what I most like agree and identify with. Um, I think over time we've obviously dissected it and broken it down to all these different categories, but I obviously agree with feminism at a, you know, on a basic level. Um, just that everyone should all be equal, regardless of race, gender, um, sexuality, everything, you know? Yeah, and that's what it boils down to in the end. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. I feel like feminism, obviously now that everyone's a bit more aware of kind of different forms of oppression, I feel like feminism kind of in its roots should just be a term that all women can use and that all women can feel protected by and that women can call themselves feminists without having to say oh I don't agree with this because I feel like I don't belong there but I feel like all women should be able to feel like that yeah 100% and feminism I think has to make leaps and bounds in terms of that because it is quite exclusionary as a term to move on slightly what does Black History Month mean to you and what things do you guys do to celebrate it if you do anything I think Black History Month is actually a very interesting time because I personally feel like it's not really as much for Black people as it is for other people to learn and like educate themselves on Black history. So I personally, you know, everything I do to indulge in Black culture, I would do, you know, throughout every month of the year. So I don't think I do anything differently in Black History Month. But um, I do appreciate seeing all the different efforts that other people make and other brands and you know corporations make to uplift black people and celebrate black history but me personally I just you know continue doing everything I was doing before yeah me, me too I don't really like if there are events I will like always go to them always encourage my friends to go to them but like black history month itself I feel like I just like seeing people posting so like I looked at your guys's Instagram and I saw you made a post about um a black man I think during the Victorian times and like I enjoy seeing posts like that where it's like even I'm learning things that I don't know about like my own culture 
so following on from that of course as you guys have both said it is incredibly important and very educational but some people argue that black history should be more just generally more integrated into curriculums and into mainstream teaching and mainstream media rather than being a sort of standalone some people would say token sort of month like kind of like women's awards where they're like a subset of everyone else's awards if that makes sense so what do you guys think about this do you think that black history month in itself is of is of course important but do you think that it should instead be something that's more integrated and just spread out throughout curriculums and throughout media i i definitely think that um black history should be just incorporated in curriculum i think because when i was growing up and learning history for example in school i never once learned about like colonialism and the slave trade and stuff when learning about english history and that's quite shocking concerning like shocking considering that that's like such a huge part of england's history um and i do think that having black history month and pride month and all of these different months can come across tokenistic especially to the people who belong to those groups um so yeah i i think it should all of the different all of those different months should just be engraved in curriculum yeah i think that's a really good point i feel like why can't we have both why can't it be like teachers or i guess the education system puts in the effort maybe reconsidering the curriculum considering okay let's not block out these parts of history let's not like kind of hide these from our students let's educate our students but then also why can't we have a month just celebrating people who are usually not celebrated so why can't we why can't we teach about maybe lgbtq history but then also celebrate them in june why can't we teach about really strong women and then also celebrate them in march i feel like having both like a long-term education but also having a month where I guess you can learn things that maybe wouldn't be taught in the curriculum or like just because I feel like Black History Month doesn't just have to be educational it can just be like celebratory in the sense that you don't have to for example have a lesson on Black History you could have a culture day have I don't know students bring jollof have students things from their culture just celebrate I guess. Yeah absolutely and would you guys say that um, in general like I'm a history student so um, obviously this is what I want to talk about but like would you say that black history in general contains enough about black women specifically in your experience or has it been more um, male oriented male dominated oh that is such a good question I think it's I think there's definitely more of male dominated history because when I look at some of the things I've learned about Black women through history and their contributions to the world, even when you look at space, and I don't know if any of you have heard or seen of Hidden Figures, but the women who kind of pioneered the whole journey to space were Black. And I just never knew that before watching that movie. So I think in general, I think history just lacks education on Black people, but yeah, specifically Black women. Yeah, definitely. I think history is just kind of glorifying men a lot. And I feel, feel like women don't really get that spotlight. So obviously black women definitely don't get that spotlight. And I think kind of like the most famous black women in history are always slaves who have maybe escaped. So like, for example, Harriet Tubman. Um, and I feel like we maybe don't kind of look at the achievements of black women. And it's usually probably because in that like in that moment where they have achieved something, 
it hasn't been celebrated and it's kind of been overshadowed or like even stolen yeah absolutely and like to build on from that as well I think a lot of the perceptions that have been made about black women are obviously have their basis in history essentially um so a lot of the kind of the history that we learn is like not celebratory like you've picked up on Nivea like it should be more celebratory because like you said Tati I've never heard of that hidden figures did you say it was the movie yeah so emotional man you gotta watch it (laughs) it makes you weep but it's so true I think the space race is such an interesting and such an important example as well because like even at primary school I mean we learned about Neil Armstrong in what year two like and the, the point that we've dedicated so much attention to these men that there's lord knows how many conspiracy theories about did they land on the moon are the shadows fake did it really happen blah 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 what were their first words were they really their first words what were they wearing how do you pee in a spacesuit like there's so many questions that have come from these three white men who allegedly did everything yeah to the point we've dedicated so much time to it, we've not even touched the actual black women who were like behind the maths behind it i think it just it goes to show i think just even like just the conspiracy theories alone goes to show how much attention we are giving to completely the wrong people in the story so I think it's a really important example that you've brought up there. So like we were saying a lot of the underpinnings of modern day perceptions of black women in society not like our perceptions obviously um, were formed like historically so a lot of it dated back to the discovery of the new world and the onset of colonialism which was then strengthened later on to justify slavery and discrimination in all its forms so for example one of the um, stereotypes of black women was the Jezebel stereotype so like a promiscuous black woman or the like very nurturing mommy stereotype like of the nanny black woman and obviously these have real life consequences to this day like you've both said these perceptions end up dehumanizing and black women um so this can particularly be seen in medical racism for example where medical professionals are often dismissive of black women's pain as it hasn't for a long time it was taught in medical schools that black people had a higher pain tolerance. And this recently came out in quite a lot of studies that there's much higher mortality rates for black women in childbirth, for example. So this obviously shows as well that that has a lot of fatal consequences. So even though it has historical foundations, it's not something that is just history. This is something that affects literally everyone in the present day. I was reading this really interesting article today that was actually actually part of my course which is a a good a big tick for my course but um that was about specifically pain and the way in which we express it in language as by a woman called Anne Boyer and it was talking about the lack of words that actually exist to express and to refer to pain so if we think about for example taste we have sweet salty sour spicy disgusting delicious blah 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 but not half as many words to actually describe pain so even things like dull and sharp are metaphors like they're comparing things to a sharp knife or dull like it's neither unbearable or pleasant and so when we start to look at the reason why it then comes back to us as a society and not really caring about the people who are in pain enough to describe it because these groups tend to be marginalized already so for example women with painful periods of childbirth just expected to get on with it people with a painful disability being locked away in asylums workhouses in victoria england nazi germany literally concentration camps and we've inflicted pain on black bodies for centuries as a systemic issue through colonization slavery experiments for medication as you were saying unrecognized soldiers in wars that we started now police brutality the prison system everything like that to the point where like we've kind of interlinked 
blackness and violence and pain somehow blamed it on the black community instead of the white colonial oppressors and not even bother to actually create words to describe it. So even though English is one of the languages with the biggest vocab span, we basically have no words to actually describe pain because we care about it so little because the people creating the languages were just never the ones feeling it. They were the ones causing it to other people. So I think it's the same with what you're saying about like in terms of medication, it's just so not explored because historically white people have been the ones creating the pain rather than caring about expressing it. That's actually so crazy. I've, I've never thought about that ever before. I know, nor did I. It was mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's something I only think about tonight. I'll be laying awake at 3am like, wait, how do I describe what I'm feeling right now? <laughs> um, <laughs> I was also doing my reading for my essay this week and I came across this paper on a term called Afro-pessimism. And basically the term itself argues that Black communities were never really emancipated. Emancipation never happened which I think is a claim and a half in itself. But the the man who came up with this term, Frank B. Walderson, um, is basically, he was talking about how slavery is not only defined by physical exploitation. Like if you think about slavery, you think about, you know, plantations, people being exploited, people being beaten. It's brutal and it's not a nice um, image that comes up. But it's also referring to the removal of a person's personhood or identity or their their being basically and so even now in modern day society we we criminalize we perpetuate violence against we displace black communities so under that term in many ways that itself is a form of slavery and the exploitation of the black body because you're taking away identity right so I think the question is and I I do get that it's a big question again but do you kind of agree with that viewpoint what you were saying about um, like stripping identity, I feel like that definitely is still yeah present today. Um, when you look at workplaces and schools, not allowing black girls and guys to have their natural hair, for example, because it's seen as unprofessional or whatever reason people want to give, that's a form of identity. I feel like a lot of black people then grow up with certain feelings about their natural hair even though it's beautiful they feel like either ashamed to be showing their natural hair they feel like they can't they feel like they don't look like everyone else or what whatever it is so I feel like the point you raised about identity is still very much the case of it being stripped yeah no that's true and also it's like where there's a group of people that's oppressed there's always an oppressor and society is not willing to let go of that whole we need to oppress people even if it is on such a like small minute scale and in the day-to-day it's just yeah it's quite sad I wanted to also pick up on what all three of you touched on about race kind of being um not kind of being being a social construct so like the idea of racialization like racializing people was literally created to uphold violence and discrimination by the west but then there's also a danger in dismissing race so like people who say things like that they don't see color or that they're colorblind um by doing that people end up white people end up dismissing ethnic minorities and the experiences of people who have been racialized i wanted to pick up on something that all four of you mentioned about seeing black people in pain and in violence and even to do with like the black lives matter protests and movement how videos were going around of black people being like brutalized by the police and it was very normal like it's seen as very normal 
um even though that's not and it never should be but it kind of goes to show how like people in society or society as a whole doesn't really value black people in the same way that it does white people it doesn't see black people's pain in the same way it does pain on inflicted on white bodies and like it's a little bit kind of connected but the child Q case that came out like a few months ago I think it was about the young black girl in school who was subject to like the really dehumanizing strip search because they thought she had like marijuana on her whatever so for example that kind of shows that they didn't see her personhood to the point where they had any respect for her and I think that's quite a it tells it tells us a lot about our society because it isn't just her it's happened to a lot of black women and it happens to a lot of black girls as well so I think that's quite telling too you know on the point of BLM obviously there was this huge thing that went around social media about how it was performative people were posting you know black squares on the Instagram feed and also in in terms of feminism in general there's a lot of criticism to do with it being performative obviously it's hugely patronizing for people to to say oh this is how we should help marginalized communities this is how we as people that aren't oppressed should should act and help them what do you guys think about performative activism i think with performative activism during that time in 2020 it was at a high that i'd never seen before and personally i'm on social media a lot and whilst social media is important to some people in some ways it's not real life so people posting black squares whilst that comes with the best intentions obviously it doesn't actually really do anything and um i guess that doesn't really count as performative activism if it if it does come from a place of like genuine feelings but i think performative activism is a weird one because a lot of the things people do is you know they are self-serving i think us as humans we do things to make ourselves feel good even if we don't want to admit it so yeah it doesn't really i don't it doesn't really do anything i don't know if that answered the point but that's what yeah that's what i think right now <laughs> um yeah i think with performative activism i kind of feel like sometimes like back in 2020 it was kind of used against people it was kind of used in a way where if someone for example wasn't posting or if maybe they posted once but then didn't post for another victim they would kind of be shamed for that and i feel like activism should just be you see something that you feel is not right it should not be happening and so you use your voice to maybe try and inform other people and also kind of maybe share your opinion and like have discussions I feel like the word performative activism kind of scares people and maybe people are like oh like thinking before they post it they're like oh um should I be posting this like do I know enough oh I don't so that means that I'm performative like so I just feel like performative activism is kind of a term that people use to kind of guilt trip people I do think it definitely exists because there's been like a lot of celebrities maybe not naming names but I did see a few videos of some celebrities going to these protests and just having photo shoots and just like posting pictures with their placards and that's definitely performative activism but I don't know I just feel like they shouldn't be used together I feel like if you're an activist it shouldn't come with like this burden of your being an activist for every single victim you have to know every single piece of information you have to have read every single article I feel like yeah I feel like it's kind of a term that scares people and puts people off posting and put and then that kind of limits discussion and then that unproductive and I feel doesn't really help the situation or 
Oh, I was going to say, I feel like with social media, everyone holds everyone to such high standards as well. It's like all of a sudden everyone needs to be, you know, mm. an, an expert on every single world issue, whereas that's not the case. Like, I think people, we, we would get further if everyone was, you know, we have free speech, but if everyone was kind of allowed to ask questions in a respectful way without people instantly jumping to be like, oh, I can't believe you said that, or you don't know anything. Obviously there are people on the internet who are just spreading hate, who are ignorant and don't want to change. But there are so many people who don't know things because they're not taught things, but they want to know, but they don't know how to access the information or they've accessed information. They don't know if it's correct. They want validation. And the social media can be a very scary place to go for that you know, validation. So I think if we were all just in general, just a bit more open-minded, willing to help people instead of just expecting everyone to have 100% correct knowledge on every single topic. It would be so much better. Yeah, it's the whole point about cancel culture, isn't it? That you're not letting people grow and learn from from other people, basically. They have to know everything to start off with. Um, The point that both of you made about it being self-serving, basically um, posting black squares and things like that. I think one of the main criticisms in 2020 was the fact that people were posting the video of George Floyd and his death, the actual video. And for a lot of people, that was a reminder of how it was basically sharing black violence and people were profiting off it, not profiting, but like in their own self-serving way, they were, that was the activism they were using. They weren't posting information. They weren't posting links to you know, donate to his family or help with the cause. It was just that video that circulated. Yeah, I agree. I think it is kind of just a demonstration of how Black people are seen as ornaments or they're just not seen as human. They're kind of just a spectacle. It's just there for people to watch, just there for people to make a mockery of or people to profit off. And I feel like it's kind of a similar thing with uh, what happened with um, Megan Thee Stallion, uh, I think two years ago, was it? Um, And how what happened to her her getting shot everyone was just kind of making jokes about it kind of retweeting the videos um kind of still uh, following her abuser and kind of not really taking her seriously and I feel like it kind of goes back to the idea that black people can't really be seen as victims they are kind of just like well, I don't know what I'm saying they we um are kind of just not seen as victims we're seen as kind of um, as Tati said before, we have to be strong. We have to kind of just take the abuse and just, I guess, move on with it. And yeah, I feel like what people were doing with the George Floyd video is kind of, instead of, as you said, spreading information, instead of promoting discussions, they were kind of using it as a kind of shock for shock value, trying to get views, trying to profit off of it. And I feel like it's kind of just wrong. Yeah. I think it's so strange how so many people could see and come across a video like that and think that it's normal and okay to share it, you know? And also in terms of like platforms as well, like Instagram and YouTube, how it was able to stay on the platform for so long and how it managed to travel so far when Instagram is so quick to tear down other videos when it comes to sharing useful information. Like I've seen so many posts of people trying to share um, stories about the LGBTQ plus community, the black community, like how to help. 
and they're instantly taken down because it's hate speech or whatever. And none of these posts are negative. None of them are sharing any graphic, violent information and they're taken down so fast. Yet when these graphic videos of black people being, you know, having violence inflicted upon them are going around, nothing is done for so, so long. So it's, yeah, as you said, it just goes back to that point of black people not being seen as people in the same way um, other people are seen, which is so sad. From your personal experiences or things you've seen and learned from other black women in your life or through the media, et cetera, what are some of the challenges that are faced exclusively or much more by black women in corporate and educational settings? So me and Nivea were talking about Meghan Markle, for example, and her mistreatment. So what would you say are some of the challenges in a corporate or educational or more like professional sort of setting? So good. Um, So I guess from my mum, I learned a lot about the challenges black women face in the corporate setting because she worked for a bank. I won't say which bank, but this was a very long time ago. And um, she was the most educated person there out of her team. Um, she was the only black woman and she was working with a bunch of other white white men and um, they were constantly being promoted year after year um, despite her being the most educated having her masters doing all the other you know qualifications and she would just always be doing the absolute most but be receiving the least Um, and then she just decided to be self-employed start a business because she just felt like she was continuously disrespected and never given what she you know was what she deserved in the corporate um industry um and I guess from an educational standpoint um I think a lot about education does stem from classism when you think about it because I for example am at King's College and in my uni class I'm the only black person there and I think when it comes to access to education it's not just, you know, if you're black, if you're white, it's also what area you grew up in. And some of those things aren't within your control. You know, that's from like, yeah, you're just, you're very limited in those ways. So if you didn't have access to a good primary school or a good secondary school, then you wouldn't get into a good uni, like if you're taking that traditional route. So, um, and typically the people who live in the areas where the better schools aren't are people of color so I think this the way the system is built is just it's in a way in which black people and other people of color are constantly you know in the places where they can't access the best of the best so um yeah when it comes to education I think a lot of the time it's luck you just you know yeah luck like based on where you were born, where you grew up and where you were able to go to school because, yeah, I I would elaborate, but I think I've said enough. (laughs) No, absolutely. There's this bit of theory I've read and I'm a geographer, so I I love this stuff, like the whole identity and things to do with that. Um, It's about intersectionality, like kind of what you're saying. And it's about how there's a sort of base identity in society of people that are just not oppressed in the slightest. So they would be, you know, white, able-bodied, cisgender, heterosexual men. And obviously there's, this theory is not without its criticisms, but it's basically saying 
you can like let's say this white man is now a black man or then a black gay man or is a black gay woman a black gay disabled woman the more sort of intersectionalities you add or layer on top of this base identity the more marginalized that person becomes again like I said it is problematic and there's there's more to it it's not that simple but it is kind of what you said it's not just additive I guess they kind of work together so your race does in many ways dictate your class and you know how disabled or how able-bodied you are also dictates the way you kind of exist and function within society because society is set up in a way that does oppress people so you're right in saying that it's not it's not that simple because Mm. they're all so interlinked and interwoven yeah Yeah, totally agree. I think it goes to show as well what else you were saying about like in a university setting as well I think you're totally right about having things like catchment areas for schools it's not enough that as a university for example it's not enough not to to not actively discriminate against black people, which is a very low bar. It's not even enough to say that you're gonna have a quota or something. As a society, we need to be, for example, voting in governments that are gonna tackle things like over-gentrification and like the class divide, things that then just aren't accessible to different people from different communities and cultures. So if you look at in the US, things like, like the amount of articles that have been written that I'd really recommend like anyone listening to try and like read up about, about things like voting lines and gerrymandering and how it like literally axes out entire communities because they know they're going to vote differently and like there's so many actual political issues that could solve things like for example having more black people in your course at university but like we're so eager to see it as just like a black and white should we what literally should we have like quotas in universities yes or no and it's like it's so much deeper than that it's not going to fix anything by just trying to hit hit a box Mm -hmm. it's so funny I was I was sat in a tutor today and I was talking to my tutor and obviously like in all our uni degrees like everything's about nuance you've got to understand it's not black and white and she was basically saying it's so funny how academics will sit down and they'll theorize and they'll write these papers and they'll read and they'll sit between themselves and have these great discussions about what's wrong in the world but they don't have any power to change it it's all with politicians who just don't care mm-hmm. and won't they're, they're not the people going through you know google scholar reading all these articles it's it's yeah unfortunate but the reality yeah um absolutely like establishment and the corporate settings um as me and Kavina were saying about like Meghan Markle I feel like one big issue that a black woman faces kind of not feeling like they belong or like not feeling like we belong in an establishment whether it be because of like imposter syndrome or I guess obviously just because of barriers that are put up because of sexism and racism combined um and I feel like another big issue in both a corporate and educational setting, actually, um, as Tati mentioned, like your mom being kind of the most educated, if a black woman is the most educated person there, whether it be in a classroom, whether it be in a business, she won't be the go-to person to ask for help. She is the most um, qualified. Like I do have a personal story. So um, in sick form, I was like very good at maths, but, um, and I think I got, really high on one of our mock exams I think it was and despite having the highest score I went to like a boys sick form so none of them would ask me for help they would go to perhaps someone who got maybe the second highest or third highest rather than me and I feel like 
black women probably feel like that even in corporate settings as well for example if they do work in a law firm in an investment bank um somewhere like that I feel like even if for example they are a partner they will not be the person who their juniors are going to for help they will not be the person who even seniors are asking questions like I feel like they will all, all, always somehow feel either isolated or kind of belittled in that sense um and I guess that just ties into leading to them not feeling like they are enough and not feeling like they do belong in that setting and then I guess that would just add to any imposter syndrome any imposter syndrome that they might have feeling like they don't belong feeling like they aren't enough for that position that even though they are maybe overqualified they might feel like they aren't even qualified enough um and I guess back to the Meghan Markle issue I feel like even though she is a mixed woman of course she's still black the tabloids and I guess the establishment the British public kind of just pick out her blackness and just see her for her blackness rather than mm-hmm. and it's like even though she's for example American the tabloids would probably say oh Meghan Markle Prince Harry has married a black woman rather than Prince Harry has married a mixed American woman and I feel like kind of only seeing a black woman for her blackness is kind of a reason why personally I feel like misogynoir kind of runs deeper than intersectionality just because there are multiple levels like a black woman is not just facing the racism that a black man is facing and she's not just facing the sexism that a white woman is facing she's kind of it's kind of a deeper level it's rather than just sexism it's also dehumanization and then rather than just racism it's both dehumanization and sexism so it's just kind of like a really big ball that's just kind of impenetrable and it's really hard to kind of um like pull apart it's kind of hard to pull apart the racism from the sexism um and I feel like that's kind of why a lot of black women maybe feel like they can't prosper in a corporate setting and then I guess that's kind of why they are underrepresented and then like another point on that is the idea that black women should try and strive to be the first at something so for example being the first black partner being the first black prime minister or black female partner black female prime minister and I feel like in 2022 why like why is that still the goal why are we still trying to get a black prime minister why are we still trying to get the first black partner I feel like that is kind of the issue of the corporate setting. It's just not very accommodating. It's not very welcoming. It's kind of catered to a specific demographic that is maybe, for example, white middle-class male and a black woman is definitely not fitting that mold. So it's, I guess, quite difficult for us to feel belonging or to feel that we belong there. Also, I feel like um, what you were saying about Meghan Markle and the media is such an interesting point because I did one of my final year projects on um, is the news media racist basically and looked at a bunch of different articles and stories they had produced comparing um, for example in sports how they're right about a white footballer versus a black footballer and I think the media is such an important you know player in the conversations around race and how people then go on to discuss and act 
in their day-to-day lives because there is such a difference. I think a good person to look to um, for research would be Afwa Hirsch. She is like, she's, I don't know why, the government have some issues with her at the moment, but she has so many TV shows and documentaries and articles written about the media and you know race relations. And I think it's really interesting um, like reading her perspective about it. But um, yeah, I think as well as like corporate, the the corporate world and the educational world the media is also a really big player in all of that um just following on from like the conversation we were having about work as well so historically like a lot of the white activism the white feminism has been about um being able to work and um yeah about being able to work but then at this exact time and for centuries before that black women and working class women and other women of color had been working for centuries it wasn't like they needed to get the right to work essentially so there's also a lot of layers to it and I love the way you both phrased it about um how misogynoir is a whole another like I can't explain it but like it's like there's just so many layers to it what um what perceptions about black women do you feel have impacted your life personally so it's a bit of a personal question but is there any perceptions and stereotypes that you feel have impacted you directly 100% I think when it comes to the strong black woman I think I definitely internalized that in the sense that I hate asking people for help like I anything I struggle through I would much rather just get through it on my own because I meant to be strong and all of that. And then also, you know, that I think it's a really big thing within the black community also to like work really hard and, you know, that sleep when you're dead mentality. I think because of how hard like being um, like our parents going through poverty, like them experiencing that and having to work really hard. I think our generation um, have also kind of, received that mentality of like oh you have to just you know work yourself into the ground kind of vibe but um yeah I think those elements have definitely resonate with that um and then also when it comes to appearance wise um growing up I really did not like my natural hair but like luckily now I'm embracing it and I really love it but um yeah I think those would be the main things yeah I think one big thing for me is like appearance wise um not just hair but like I guess the way I dress as well like I feel like black women aren't really allowed to fit into certain aesthetics and like wear certain clothes that are kind of like feminine for example like the like cottage core soft girl um or like even alternative styles like goth or whatever um and I feel like Uh, growing up a lot I did kind of struggle and I kind of still struggle to know what my aesthetic is and what I kind of want feel comfortable wearing because I feel like black women are expected to dress a certain way um I also feel like that there's like this perception of black women as or black girls in general just being like loud and like really boisterous um and I feel like I don't know I'm kind of naturally a more quiet person so but I have always had that thought in my head where I'm like I don't want to be associated with that stereotype and so for example when I was like maybe in secondary school if I was for example on the bus and there was like a group of 
uh, black girls or black guys at the back of the bus like being really loud I would also I would always think please I don't want to be associated with that please I do not want to be associated with that but I feel like that is not the mindset that I should have had and I just feel like mm. society should not have or I feel I feel like I should not have felt like I should be separated for them from them because at the end of the day that that perception does not determine who they are and that perception would not also determine who I am so I feel like yeah that kind of preconception of either appearance and also black people just being really loud and boisterous yeah I think that makes so much sense especially what you were saying about um fashion and not fitting into specific kind of fashion ideals I think it goes to so shows so much of the conversations we're having even about society like when we talk about TikTok and different fashion aesthetics is also very white centric because again like it doesn't even represent all of the the we're trying to put so many people in one box and again we're missing out so many of the actual crucial elements of society and it's interesting what you said about goth culture as well because isn't like punk culture I swear it came out of like anti-fascism and then using that but at the time like black people weren't dressed in that way they were trying not to be beaten to death by the police like I think it goes to show so many of these movements a lot of which are created by white people trying to seem in inverted commas woke or aware of these different issues is actually just wildly missing the point is this like i don't know if any of you've seen um oh my gosh what's it called grand army that i think apparently has been like cancelled from netflix but the, they just made one season of it it's really good but there's um a piece in it where they're talking about free the nipple and a lot of people in the comments she's, there's a scene where she scrolls through the instagram and a lot of the people were saying like Meanwhile, you know, black women are fighting for their lives out here and white women are just trying to be able to show their tits in public, essentially. Like, I think there's so much of two kind of different levels of violence against women when we talk about misogynoir and generally white and black rights, respectively. Um, I mean, I know that's not specifically what you're talking about. I hope I've not kind of like put words in your mouth or anything like that. But I think it affects so much the society that we think we're doing something helpful and we're actually not even scraping the surface of what the actual underlying issues are. Um, I think the last question that I was just going to ask for you guys, unless you have any final thoughts you want to add, was uh, just kind of what advice would you give either to young black women listening to this in terms of words of empowerment or uh, anyone else in terms of, I mean, we mentioned politics and, you know, being interested in that kind of thing. Do you have any advice for, for our listeners in general? I think my advice in general for everyone would be, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, I assume you already have some curiosity, which is great, but um, it would be to just never stop learning and to continuously, you know, educate yourself. I feel like the phrase educate yourself is very patronizing, but just continue learning about different aspects of the world, like whatever that may be, um, because the more and more you learn, the more you get to accept and understand other people's points of views and talk to people who maybe think differently from you because I think a lot of the time we live in these like mini echo chambers, especially on social media where everyone has the exact same opinion of you and then you're kind of stuck in that bubble. So if you can have healthy debates with other people, I think that's a really great way to learn and expand your mind. And then to black girls specifically, I would say um, like pay less attention to what everyone else is doing, just do exactly what it is you want to do. Don't focus on fitting into some mold, some aesthetic, living up to some stereotype or, you know, worrying if you're fitting into a stereotype or how other people are perceiving you. 
and just you know live your life be as happy as you can be yeah I say for people in general just I guess try and be nice to everyone just recognize that even though you are treating everyone the same people do have different backgrounds they do have different stories to tell and they might not feel comfortable sharing them but just have that in the back of your mind that you don't know everything about a person and just I guess just try not to judge people Um, and I say for black girls in particular just know that literally you are beautiful you don't need to change yourself you should just try and focus on feeling comfortable in your own skin because your skin is beautiful and no one can tell you differently that's all we have time for thank you so much for listening and especially thank you so much to Nivia and Tati we have learned so much talking to you and I'm sure that all of our listeners have as well if you want to read more about similar issues you can read about it on our blog www.newslondon.co.uk or you can follow us on Instagram where there'll be even more information about this and all the other topics we talk about which is at news underscore ldn which is short for London you can also email us at, at admin at newslondon.co.uk and we'll be sure to get back to you that's all from us this was the news podcast 